In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask you, O Lord, to be with us during this Bible study and help us to understand the mysteries and the secrets of your word, to help us to live it, O Lord, in our daily lives and to assist us in our salvation and our desire to be in union with you. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, good evening, everybody. Um, God willing, today I'm really excited. Uh, we're going to be starting um, a new book in the book of Genesis. And um, this is really one of the most fundamental and foundational books in the Bible. To understand the book of Genesis unlocks a lot of understanding, a lot of things. Um, that is uh, spoken about and, and, and mentioned in other parts of the Bible. Um, and so it's really important for us to, to, to study this book and to understand it well. Um, so I'm going to you know, try to do our best to go uh, as briskly as we can through it, just because it's a long book, but also to stop and pause um, you know, in, in, in the most important parts to meditate on it and to think about what it means and, and how God like, started everything. It really That's why we call it Genesis um, it's the beginning of everything, which is really, really very important time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So um, we're going to start uh, as an overview of the book to begin with, um, before we dive into the first chapter to help be more familiar with, with um, the book itself. So we can look at the name of the book. Um, in Hebrew, this book is called uh, Pirashet, um, which means in the beginning. Um, it was a customary... Uh, in the Hebrew, to essentially take the first few words of the book, and that becomes the name of the book. Uh, so as the first verse is in, it starts with in the beginning, so that is the name of the book um, in Hebrew. The name Genesis, the English name of Genesis, is based on the Greek Septuagint version, uh, uh, and it means origin or beginning of things, which is what it's describing, the beginning. Um, the author of the book, um, although modern scholars will argue and debate points about um, authorship, uh, the, the church maintains that this is written uh, by the book of Moses, by Moses. It's one of the, the books of Moses. And even there's a lot of internal evidence in the Bible itself that maintains that, you know, the, the books of the law, the, 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 the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, um, is written by Moses. So, um, I'm not going to go into all of the evidence as to um, showing that, in fact, that it was written by Moses, because that would take a long time. Um, but, but we do believe that the book was written by Moses as the first five books. There are small parts of the book um, that are not written by Moses. So, for instance, the very end speaks about uh, the death of Moses, uh, which that obviously was not written by him. But the majority of the book um, is written by him. Uh, we believe that most likely... Uh, the book was written uh, after a receiving of the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. So um, receiving the tablets happened, of course, in the book of Exodus. Uh, but we believe that it was at that point that Moses wrote uh, this book uh, of Genesis. Um, the theme of the book, and this is important to understand really about the Bible as a whole, is that the account of the creation and the origins of everything is not intended to be uh, a kind of exhaustive, scientific, detailed uh, account. 
Um, it's, it's, it's not intended to answer every question. Um, you know, we, we might have a lot of questions that um, are not clearly answered uh, in this book. The, the goal of this book and the main focus is to describe the creation as it relates to God and the relationship that we have with God. It gives us insight into God's purpose for creating man into the very first um, interactions between God and man and, and how God views man and how, what God wanted man to do and the fall of man, the redemption of man, um, the suffering that man experienced in the world um, after the fall and all of the early on uh, historical events that kind of shaped uh, the human condition as well as our relationship uh, with God. So it's intended to give a background of that, uh, how God intended for us to live, how we came to be in the state that we're in today, um, as opposed to being uh, a very, very detailed account to answer every scientific question that a person could ask uh, about the uh, creation. St. Basil, he speaks about this book and saying says that Moses wrote it um, in a way to kind of uh, attack the, 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 the lies by atheist philosophers, uh, and which essentially they were arguing that the world was produced by chance, by randomness, that the world was eternal and the universe was eternal. Um, but clearly in the book of Genesis, it describes that the world was not eternal and that your universe is not eternal, but it had a definitive beginning. And actually, you know, fast forward thousands of years later, modern science now agrees that the universe had a beginning, that it was not eternal, as many of the philosophers believe, the pagan philosophers um, believed early on um, in human history. Um, uh, another theme of the book is it speaks about the relationship between man and God. Um, in, in God's eyes, and it's clear through the creation account, that human beings are not just mere creatures amid millions of others that happen to come to being by chance, but that human beings are very unique creatures created by God in his own image um, that carry uh, the earthly features in the body and carry the heavenly features in the spirit. So we are a combination of uh, flesh and spirit created by God specifically for a purpose, loved by God, and God intended for us to be here at a specific time to do a specific thing, and that we have a, a relationship of love between him and us. The book of Genesis makes it very clear that we were intentionally placed in the world as opposed to it being just a, a, a chance happening, a random action, something that came about on its own, which again, many atheists uh, today believe that, you know, obviously that everything came about um, out of randomness and even to the point where um, many atheists today believe that human beings do not even have free will because they believe that everything is governed according to physics and chemistry. And so if I'm completely governed by physics and chemistry, then I do not actually have any choice to do anything, but my choices are governed by the physics of my body and that I do not actually choose um, to do. Whereas it's clear for us in the creation account that man was given a choice. Even from the very beginning, he could choose to obey God or he could choose to disobey him. Um, also, uh, in terms of the relationship between man and God, we can see that God gave man to be the master of the world, master over the earth. He gave him authority to subdue the world, to tend it. He gave Adam the responsibility of naming the animals. Uh, God clearly saw that human beings were a higher rank of creation 
than anything else in the world. And we see that God was directly communicating with and guiding man for the benefit of man throughout the entire book, right? God is interacting. God is active. God is present, is communicating with man, telling him what it is that he should do for his own benefit. And that this was a relationship that was unique between God and man. It wasn't something that God shared with the animals. For instance, see God, we don't see that God is speaking to animals in this way. You see, God is speaking specifically to man. Also, we see God's fatherhood, right? Man was created as a free being, not as a captive or a slave or one that was forced to do something against his own will. Um, God created all things that man needed prior to man's creation. So on the six days of creation, man was created at the very end, on the last, on the last day, so that everything else that man needed to survive and to live was created before him, and that man would then take care of those things and enjoy the creation that God had made. Just as you can kind of say in an analogy that parents that are expecting a, a baby, they are going to prepare the nursery first, and then when the baby is born, the nursery is ready and prepared for the baby to enjoy and to live from, right? Um, so in this, even we see God's fatherhood, the love that God has for us in his own creation, not just his sheer divinity and power, but how God has love and compassion toward mankind. Also in this book, we see the very beginning of the existence of evil, that even from the very beginning, evil existed in the form of the devil, um, the person of the devil is the manifestation of all evil. When we speak about evil, we don't speak about it as a, as kind of like a vague term. Um, we, we speak about uh, the, we, we speak about the, uh, uh, like all evil is impersonated in the person of the devil himself. Someone's saying, do you mean the death of Moses at the end of the Torah? Yes, sorry, that's what I meant. I didn't mean at the end of Genesis. Um, the, the devil is working to destroy man out of his hatred for God, right? And we see that from the very beginning. And this is very useful for us even now because the devil has been working since then, even up until now. We see that his methods are very crafty and deceptive and that he was able to deceive Adam and Eve, even those who knew for certain God's existence that would, would interact with God in the garden, whom God gave a, a direct mission you know, today we, we, we see like, um, you know, people can say, well, I don't believe in God because God is invisible and I don't believe in, in him. But at the time, Adam and Eve could not say, I do not believe in God. That, that, was not even an, that was not even an optional thing for them. God was clearly present for them, right? And yet, even though God was clearly present for them, we see how deceptive uh, the, the, the devil was to deceive Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. We see him primarily mentioned directly here in the garden, but we see his, his work invisibly throughout the rest of the Bible and throughout human history. So that even though there was only very few times, for instance, when Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness, where we see the manifestation of the devil in a very, very clear form, just like we do in the garden, and yet he continues to work and deceive man just as he did with Adam and Eve all throughout the history of man and there is this constant struggle between man and the devil where the devil is seeking to destroy us um, also the, the reason that the, that the devil is seeking to destroy us is 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 not because we are so important to the devil that he wants us to be destroyed is that the devil wants to harm god 
right? The devil is has hatred toward God. The devil is jealous of God. The devil is the one who wanted to be God and to take his place. And so because the devil has no power to directly harm the Pantokrator, the Lord, right? So he says, I'm going to attack his children. I'm going to attack the ones that he loves the most. And that will be the means that I attack him. Kind of like you can think of um, if you, if, if, if there is like someone who is a kidnapper who kidnaps the children of someone that he hates, right? That that would be a means of him to, 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 to express his hatred toward a person, right? Not the children themselves, are the issue it's the man the man who is the father of the children that when when he when this uh, kidnapper harms the child then he is indirectly harming the man and this is essentially what the devil is doing the devil doesn't care about us one way or the other the devil cares about god and, and attacking him we also see uh the damaging effects of sin right we can see how god intended for adam and eve to live at the beginning in the garden and then we see the, the stark transformation that happened to them after the fall. And, and that this is the real death, right? To, to experience what death is, we see we're like eyewitnesses of it and see it in, in the book directly. The way that not even in Adam and Eve themselves and how they changed from before the fall and after, right? Even in the way that they began to attack one another, to blame one another, to be fearful, to be ashamed, um, the corruption of their nature. Not only that, but the corruption of the world, right? From the beginning, everything was given to Adam and Eve in perfection, and they had no needs that were not met, and everything was beautiful and wonderful for them. But then immediately after the fall, we see that God says that the ground is now cursed, and that they must toil and labor in order for them to eat and to survive. So, so we see how the, the sin that entered into the world through man affected not only man, but the entire world that, that was created for the benefit of man. We also see the work of salvation playing out here in the book of Genesis from the very beginning. And we can say that this verse in Genesis chapter 3, uh, where, where God is speaking um, to the serpent after the fall, and where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah to redeem mankind and to destroy the devil and bruise him, bruise his head, right? This verse is essentially um, revealing to us what the entire rest of the scripture is about. The entire rest of the scripture is uh, following through with this promise, which is to say that the coming of the Messiah and how the Messiah will grant uh, forgiveness and salvation to God's people. So we see that playing out again in this book from the very, very beginning. We also see the beginning of uh, uh, morality and worship, right? This book reveals to us how God wants to be worshipped. Even before the, the, the law was given uh, in the book of Exodus, we see that people were offering sacrifices uh, here uh, in the book of Genesis. Um, these institution of the bloody sacrifices uh, was something that even though it was not directly commanded by God from the very beginning, at least that we read, right? And yet it was known that this was the type of sacrifice that God wanted. We see in the very beginning, the story between Cain and Abel, where uh, Cain uh, offered the first fruit of his crop 
uh, and a Abel offered a bloody sacrifice and how Abel's sacrifice was accepted, but Cain's sacrifice was not. It was understood that this bloody sacrifice was the type of sacrifice that God wanted his people to offer to him, right? And so this is what he accepted. And again, this is a foreshadowing of the bloody sacrifice of Christ, who he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in the New Testament. And it is through his sacrifice that we are healed, okay? We also see uh, the, the laws of morality, right? Um, in, in Genesis chapter 4, speaking to Cain, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. This, this speaks about the, the, the struggle, the spiritual struggle that humanity was called to face all throughout, human, all throughout history, right? He's saying, um, if you do well, will you not, you not be accepted? If you obey the law of God, will you not be accepted by him? And if you do not do well, right, and you fall into sin, then, 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 then you will be, there will be consequences of sin. And he's saying, it's desire is for you, but you, shall, you should rule over it, meaning that there will be temptation that the human being is going to live with temptation to do evil, right? And yet we should rule over ourselves so as not to do evil and to sin and to be rewarded by God, right? This is the, the law of morality, that even though at this point God had not given the law in its totality and the fullness of all the commandments, and yet we see even the moral law that is working inside the hearts of men to, 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 to kind of help them to discern what is right and what is wrong. We see also that we are co-workers of God. We see how God uses us in his plans and that God does not act independently of man, but uses the free will choices of man in order for him to work, right? And this is true regardless of um, our failings and our disobedience, right? So often God calls us who are disobedient, right? And, and are sinful and are weak to be the ones through whom God accomplishes his own will. And so God is, is, we see from the very beginning, God calls us to tend his creation. God calls us to be stewards. God calls us to do various things. Instead of God doing them directly, he wants us to do them and fulfill his will through our obedience. And we see manifested God's patience, his mercy, and his forgiveness. This book was written in an authoritative style, presenting facts and informations like history. It is not written in, like myths and stories that are fantastical. Instead, it is written in factual information, um, unlike other religions at the time. And it answers uh, the question of what is the origin of mankind? Where did we come from? And like I said, even though it doesn't answer every question, and we might have questions that we still don't have the answers to, and yet it gives us a very, very firm framework of understanding that we can then refer back to and understand where did we come from, right? It sets expectations, consequences, rewards for man's action and behavior. We can rely on this as authoritative truth. We can say there was literally a man named Adam who was the first man and literally a woman named Eve who was the first woman and that she was literally taken from his rib. God presented it to us in, the, in, in this. He didn't present it as an allegory, right? Even though there might be allegorical elements to the story, 
where there are kind of symbols, right? For us to understand from some of the things that are happening, but the story actually happened, right? And so we can look back and say, these are our ancestors, Adam and Eve. These were not just, um, you know, fantastical symbol, like story-like elements that we speak about kind of in an instructional way. No, we speak about it in a literal way. They really existed in the world. Okay. We do see a lot of symbols uh, in the book that point to important future events. Okay. St. Augustine, he said that the New Testament is concealed inside the Old Testament, right? So in order for us to, we, we, can, we can discover the, the future, the, the New Testament from in the Old Testament. And, and the New Testament is what helps us to understand the Old Testament. You know, the, the fulfillment of things in the, in the New Testament, it, maybe that was the first time that we really look back in the Old Testament and say, now I understand what this was saying. Now I understand these prophecies because they, they are now fulfilled in the New Testament. For instance, the tree of life, it represents Christ, who is the source of life. The bloody sacrifices that God is calling his people to do is pointing to the bloody sacrifice of Christ. Noah's ark and the flood, right? This is a symbol of Christ and, his, and the renewal of the world through baptism. Water is always a symbol of baptism. The wood of the ark represents the cross. Also, the, the, the ark represents the church, which is the ark of salvation to save us from the flood of the world. Um, the offering of Melchizedek, who was this very mysterious character that appears suddenly in the Old Testament. We don't know much about him or his genealogy, where he came from. He offers a, uh, a sacrifice of bread and wine, which is the first time anyone has ever offered such a sacrifice. And this is a symbol of the Eucharist in the New Testament. We see um, Isaac's submission to his father Abraham to be offered as a sacrifice to God. This is a symbol of the submission of Christ to the Father on the cross. We see marriages that were conducted by water wells, right? Like, for instance, in the marriage of uh, Rebecca and the marriage of Rachel um, by water wells, representing the marriage to the church, to the bridegroom through baptism, right? It's a symbolic marriage between us and God. We see Jacob's ladder. When, when, when Jacob has a dream and he sees the ladder of angels coming up and going down to heaven, the reconciliation of heaven and earth that is to be um, completed um, by Christ. So all of these symbols that we can look at, and there's many, many more, we can look at in the Old Testament and see how God is pointing us to things that are going to be uh, revealed later on. So um, as a kind of uh, like structural uh, overview of the book, we can kind of look at it like this, okay? There are four main events. Of course, there's many other smaller events, but there's four main events that happen in the book of Genesis. The first is the creation. The second is the fall. The third is the flood. And then the rest is the formation of the nations. Okay, all throughout the rest of the book. And there are four main patriarchs. There are four main characters that we follow throughout the book. There is Abraham, followed by Isaac, followed by Jacob, followed by Joseph. And this is the founding of the 12 tribes of Israel, which are then going to be the foundation of the nation of Israel all the way through to the New Testament. We also see that there are three covenants that God is making. God makes a covenant with Adam in the promise that he makes to him. We see God makes a promise to Noah, and we see God makes a promise covenant with Abraham. So we can kind of keep this in mind as we begin to study the book um, uh, 
you know, to, to, even because there's a lot of information and it's a long book, but you keep in mind this basic structure, right? That God is, 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 is there's four events, there's four patriarchs, and there's three covenants. So in Genesis, start with Genesis chapter one, it speaks about the creation, right? The creation of the world. Now it starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So all creation had a beginning, as we said before, there was a beginning of the creation. Um, one of the oldest statements written in human history to describe the first instance of all creation, the universe is not eternal, but began at a certain time, which is very important. We, we kind of take this maybe for granted now, but all throughout history for a long time, people believed the universe was eternal and that there was no beginning. And the idea that the universe has a beginning is like, um, uh, like, a, like a point supporting Christianity because we, we were saying from the beginning, like the Catholic church, for instance, um, in Europe for the longest time was saying, no, the universe was created by God. The universe had a beginning. And the, the atheistic philosophers and the scientists, they were saying, no, no, the universe is eternal. And it was only later on when it was discovered that the universe really does have a beginning is when it was validated, right? Um, uh, we see that God is the agent by who created everything else. Like God is the one who is existing. When we speak about God and what is the name of God, when we, when we say that God's name is I am, right? He reveals his own name saying I am. What does it mean when he says I am? I am means he is the existing one. He is the one whose existence does not rely on anything outside of him. He is the only thing that exists. That there was a time where nothing else existed but him. And he was in that state eternally. He is in eternally existent, right? And so at some point, he decided it was time to create something, right? Something to, to create something outside of himself, right? Um, St. Didymus the Blind, he says... Some think of the beginning in term of time, but he who contemplates in the world, in the word, the beginning would realize that it carries more than just one meaning. Sometimes it means the cause. The meaning here would be that the heavens and the earth exist in the cause. Actually, everything was done by the word as in Jesus Christ. Everything in heaven or on earth were created, the seen and unseen things. So everything was created by the one cause who is God, right? So this means that God is greater than the universe and that God existed before the creation. There are certain uh, pantheistic religions. In pantheistic religions, they believe that essentially the universe is God, right? People that maybe would worship elements inside the universe or plants or animals or things like this, where they believe that the universe itself is God. But here we clearly see that God is, came before the universe. God came before the existence even of time, right? Because he is the one who caused it all to be, okay? So if there was really nothing at one point, then there had to have been someone or something in order to create from nothing, okay? Also here in this verse, when it mentions the word God, this is the Hebrew word Elohim. Uh, in the Q&A that we did, I think it was... Um, this, this past week uh, or the week before, I don't remember. Um, we, we, we talked about the names of God and Elohim is a plural word, which essentially means gods. Okay. The plural word is an indication of 
the nature of God who is Trinity, that he is speaking even about himself in the plural. Later on, we, 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 God actually, when he is speaking, he refers to himself as us. Okay? So one of the ways in the Old Testament is one of the names of God is Elohim, which is a plural, which, which represents also like the honor and the majesty of God. Like you were not even referring to him in the singular, referring to him as being plural. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay. This uh, phrase that the earth was without form and void in the Septuagint version, it says it was unseen and incomplete. It was unseen and incomplete. So the creation um, <coughs> when we read now in this chapter about the creation, the creation is being described from like a terrestrial perspective, like from someone who is observing the creation from the earth. Okay. Um, St. Basil says that the reason it was unseen was because man had not yet been created to see it. Right. And at this point it was covered with water. This is what it says. The darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So the land had not yet been created because we see the land was created uh, later on on the third day. So, so at this point, it's just you have water, okay, over the face of the earth, okay? Um, and the spirit of God was hovering over the water for the purpose of the creation. The spirit of God and all of the Trinity was um, working together in the work of creation. This is uh, one of the reasons why, so to look at the, the baptismal rites. So um, in the baptism, a person is created anew, right? You, you receive a new nature. You are a new creation in the baptism. This is based on 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says that in, in baptism, we are, we are a new creation. So just as here, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, right? In order to create, so also in the baptism, the spirit of God is hovering over the waters of the baptism in order to create, to create the new person that is about to be created after the baptism. This is symbolized by the incense. When, when, whenever um, in, the, in the prayer of the consecration of the water that the priest prays on the baptismal water, right, he's using the incense, right? And in the incense represents like the spirit of God that is hovering over the water for like this purpose that is it is prepared to create when the person enters into the water and comes out again a new creation darkness was over the earth as the light had not yet been created to illuminate the light is going to be created next okay um saint basil the great he also speaks about this idea that um the the, the earth was incomplete right he says surely the perfect condition of the earth consists in its state of abundance Right? When we look at the earth around us, we see that is, there's abundance of life, the budding of all the sorts of plants, the putting forth of the lofty trees, both fruitful and barren, the freshness and fragrance of flowers, and whatever things appear on earth a little later by the command of God to adorn their mother. Since as yet there was nothing of this, the scripture reasonably spoke of it as incomplete. At this point, we do not have an earth that is abundant with life. We have a barren earth. We have, a, we have an earth that has yet to produce any life. We might say the same also about the heavens, that they were not yet brought to perfection themselves, nor had they received their proper adornment, since they were not yet lighted around by the moon or the sun, nor crowned by the choirs of the stars, 
for these things had not yet been made. Therefore, you will not err from the truth if you say that the heavens also were incomplete. So this is a meditation on this verse speaking about the earth was without form and void, and also that the heavens were without form and void. The heavens speaking about like the sky and space and the universe, essentially. Okay. <clears throat> so um, we're about to speak about the six days of the creation. Okay. And the six days of the creation can be uh, split up into two parts. The first three days is where God is creating the substance of things, right? The substance of things. So in the first day, he creates light. In the second day, he creates the atmosphere. In the third day, he creates the water and the land and the plants, okay? So this is like the, the substances, okay? The, the, the next three days is where God is starting to put things into the creation that he made. So for instance, on the on day number four, he, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars, right? In the heavens. So he created the heavens, right? And he puts the sun, moon, and stars in them. And the day number five, he puts what? The sea creatures, okay? And the birds into the water and the sky. And then on the sixth day, he creates the mammals and the humans whom he puts into the land, right? So he creates first the, the areas where each group is going to exist. And then he, he creates those those things that are going to exist in those regions, okay? Verse three, then God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day, okay? God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So here we see the very first thing that was done is the creation of light, okay? And this light is separate from the sun, right? Because the sun is to be created later on, on day number four. Here, this is the creation of light itself, the, the concept of light, okay? Um, in uh, St. John Chrysostom, he says what? The light of the sun that was in the first day of no form came to have its final form on the fourth day, right? So he's saying that this light is separate from what we see today to be the sun, right? This could be like the creation of particles that behave like light. Um, some say that this was the initial light of, of stars as they are forming, that had, they had not yet formed into their final form and the sun had not yet formed into its final form. Um, Moses mentions uh, here in this verse uh, five, he says, so the evening and the morning were the first day. He starts with the evening and then the morning. And this is the reason why actually in the Jewish tradition, the beginning of the day is in the evening. So, and this is actually true of the church calendar as well. So for instance, we have at 6 p.m. is when we begin the following day. So 6 p.m. is the first hour of the day. Um, and, and, and this is based on the idea that he says, so the evening and the morning were the first day, like the evening starts off the day. Um, as far as the length of time of a day, we do not believe that one day here represents 20, a 24-hour period, right? Um, in Second Peter chapter 3, it says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Right? We, we don't consider that the, the concept of a day had even been created yet. Because a day is represented by the earth revolving around itself, right? And, and none, of, none of this had yet been instituted, right? The sun hadn't even been created yet. 
So, um, so we don't consider that to be a single 24 hour period. There's a distinction between those Christians uh, who do believe that the earth represents a single day, a uh, literal day, and they're called young earth creationists. Um, these young earth creationists, they believe that the world itself, the entire world is only like 6,000 years old. Um, and, and that all of the features in the world that people see that appear to indicate that the world is much older than 6,000 years is just, um, a lot of people say it's because of the flood and that's what caused it to weather um, and to look like the way that it is now, right? But this is not what we believe. We're not young earth creationists. We believe that the world is in fact very, very old, right? Although life itself, the time where man existed, right? Is, 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 not, is, not, is not from you know, millions of years ago. That, that is more recent. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So the second day now, God is creating like the atmosphere, the sky, okay? The word firmament here is essentially the sky. That's what he's speaking about here. The earth was like covered with like dense vapor, okay? And so there was water beneath, like when it said the, the spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters, okay? And there was like water vapor in the atmosphere. So now it's like the earth's temperature. You can imagine like if the earth's temperature is decreasing and the water vapor is starting to clear, and now you have like a, like a separation between the oceans and the sky that has like clouds, right? So you have like the sky is like one region in the atmosphere, and then you have the oceans below. So that's when he says what, that he divided the waters which were under the firmament, which is the oceans, from the waters which were above the firmament, which is like the remaining water vapor that's in the sky, including clouds. Okay, so it's essentially the creation of the atmosphere. Oh, I haven't been switching this. Okay, sorry. <laughs> then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw it was good. Okay. So now we see on this day, the separation between the land and the sea, right? So the appearance of land right now in preparation for land, animals, and humans, okay? Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth, was brought, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Okay. So by the end of the third day, we now have the, the oceans and the lands, and we have vegetation on the land. We have the atmosphere, right? We're now like in a place where God is going to begin to, um, you know, to start to put things inside of the earth and the heavens that he has created, okay? Then God said, oh, 
Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the great, greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So we see here God is creating um, these lights in the firmament to divide the day from the night. This is referring to the sun and the moon. Okay. Um, two great lights is the, uh, the sun and the moon. One to rule the day and one to rule the night. Um, and he put other lights in the firmament, which is like the, the stars. Okay. And the earth is now going to be orbiting around the sun at this point. Then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Okay, so God is now creating creatures in the, ski, in the sea and in the sky, okay? Uh, birds and fish and other creatures that live in the ocean. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And so, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So now he's created all of the land animals. Then God said, Okay, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, so we ask ourselves is what is unique here, right? When it says that, that God is creating man, okay, first of all, it starts out by saying, let us make man in our image. Like it's, it, it, there's, there's a different pattern now. Right. Instead of just saying, and God made and God said and God made and God said, OK, now he's saying God is saying, let us make man in our image, as opposed to just talking about what is going to be created. It's like God is now saying we're, he's, this this creation is going to be created in the image of God. And like I said before, notice how it is speaking in plural. God is speaking about himself in the plural. OK, and he is giving man what dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, because man is a superior creation from those. He has authority over all those things that God has created uh, before this, okay? What does it mean for man to be created in the image of God, okay? Origen says, what is created in God's image is our inner man, the unseen, which is not carnal or dead or mortal, by these traits, the image of God is characterized and recognized. 
right? It is the interior, right? It is not to say that somehow God physically looks like us, like we are looking like him, okay? It is the internal man. It is what is inside of us. It is our free will. It is our mind. It is, it is, it is something internal to us, right? That is created in the image of God, right? The unseen, which is not carnal or dead or mortal. This is what Origen said, is created in the image of man, okay? Um, we, we share his attributes, we share his characteristics, and we have authority, right? So we are placed in the earth as stewards of the earth, right? We do not own the earth, but we have been given authority over the earth, right? And so God has given us a special ability in order to supervise, to monitor, to guide, to tend all of the earth. Um Also, God did not create man to dominate him, right? You see here, there is no concept of slavery here. There, there's, there's nothing that God has is, is created man in order for man to just serve him kind of in subjugation. No, God has given everything to man. Like to, to man, everything God has made is paradise, right? And he is asking man to have dominion, right? So he, he hasn't placed him under some kind of... Um, you know, slave master. He hasn't placed him in a place where he would suffer. He hasn't placed him in a place where someone would be over him to kind of push him or force him to do what he does not choose to do himself. He has given him full authority. He has given him full freedom. He has given him everything that, I, that accommodates for his needs. In every way, God has shown such great love in, the, in all of the creation for man. So like even today when, when you know, when people are talking about uh, if there's life on other planets or not, you know, and, you know, I, the question is still unknown. We don't know. Um, but, but certainly when you see everything around us, when you see the thousands and millions of light years and stars and galaxies and all the things in the universe, and you look at that and you say, all of this, God, you created for me. Like you created all of this just so you can create me. That if you were not going to create me, then you would not have created any of this. You would not have placed any of these stars in their places. You wouldn't have created any of these very glorious, wonderful things in the earth that you made. Absolutely nothing around us resembles the earth in any way. There is no plan, planet. Even when people are talking about trying to find, you know, organic material on other planets, we're talking about like something insignificant compared to what is the kind of life that is found on earth, right? And not even that has been found. So the earth is so truly unique. No one can look at the earth and say, this is like anything else. God, even in his wisdom, to create all these other things, to show us the stark contrast between what we have and what everything else is. The perfect place that earth was created relative to the sun and the other planets. Like even our own local planets, you know, we're not talking about something that's so far away that's like, you know, astronomical distances. We're talking about even the planets that are in our own solar system, and we see that they are devoid of life. There is, there is, there is nothing there. And yet when you come to the earth, it's not that it just barely maintains life. It's not just that, okay, you can, you can manage to live there, but with great, great hardship. No, it is so full of life in every way, in every corner, that you can't find a place in the world where there is no life, right? And God created all of this world for us. And this is what this is saying. This is such a great um, insight that we have, that God created this, and he placed us to have dominion over it. Right? It says something about 
about how God sees us and the reason God made us to be, right? We are not just created by, by random, okay? We are, we are created like with a purpose and we are created out of love that God has. Um, someone is saying, uh, could you please share with us the resources about how do we know that Moses is the one who most likely wrote Genesis? Uh, yes, so I can, um, I have to find the, the a link for it or I have a document, um, but I'm not sure what is the best way to send it right now. Um, if you email us, uh, I'll send you a, a, an email address um, and then I can send it to you. I'll put this here. Okay, so if you just email us at this email address, then I can send you those, those resources. <clears throat> so it goes on in verse 27, okay? Um, so God created man in his own image, and in the, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, this is also very interesting, Okay. Because up at this point, God has given no descriptions at all of any of his creation other than just what they are. Okay. And even when it comes to man, he did not use anything to describe man other than just say, he created man. Let us make man in our image. But when it came to, to this verse, he is now making a differentiation or he's describing a certain characteristic about man which is the sex of the person, whether it's a male or whether it's a female. Like the, the idea of that God is distinguishing between these two types of human beings, male and female. He didn't distinguish according to any other characteristic. Like he didn't say he created them tall and short. Like he didn't say he created them fat and thin or big and small or any other characteristic you can think of. He didn't use any characteristic right, to, to describe them except male and female. This means what? It means that in the eyes of God, the se sexuality is sacred. It is something very unique that God intended to create male and female, that for him, the concept of male and female is very important, right? God created us male and female for a reason. He, there's a reason why there is male and female. For instance, God uses... May, the concept of male and female for procreation, right? God uses male and female for bonding in marriage and relationship, right? And we see when God created uh, Eve later on, it's gonna, he's going to say, it is not good for a man to be alone, right? The, the idea that God looks at man and he says, it is not good for you to be alone, right? There is something missing, right? Because what the female had not yet been created. So, so the idea of sexuality and the, the identity as male and female is something God given. He says male and female, he created them. He created them to be male. He created them to be female. It is not left to an individual to decide whether I choose to be a male or I choose to be female, right? It is very clear here in what's God's intent. He did not give anyone the option to this, right? Which is why today with you know, 
what 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 our society is teaching is the idea that you can be whatever you please and you can switch from one to the other. This is this is not what's God's intention. This is not what God created, right? It's very clear that He created it for a certain for a certain way, right? The idea that I am choosing my own gender is a rejection of God, right? It's a rejection of the sexuality that God has given me. And, and, and it's essentially me trying to take the role of the creator myself for myself, right? Simply because I can do surgeries, right? And I can change my appearance. And, 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 and I'm trying to take this role upon myself. But it's very clear God created us to be this way. And if we acknowledge God, if we acknowledge his, uh, his, his power and his authority over us, then we have to accept even how he created us. And this goes beyond just male and female. Like we are born with different personalities. We are born with different capabilities. We are given different talents. And, and, and we say, what, what God give, has given me, this is what I use. This is what I accept. This is what I thank God for, that he gave me what he gave me, right? It, it, there are things I cannot change about myself, about my life. And instead of spending my time trying to change those things, instead I say, God, how do you want me to use what you have given, right? How do you want me to, to use the gifts that you have given me and the personality that you have given me and so on. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth, right? God gave them this blessing, right? And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. This is the first command that God gave to mankind. The first command was be fruitful and multiply, be prosperous, grow, fill the earth, subdue the earth. He wanted us all to live with him and, and, and subduing the earth. And this was going to be our life, living in paradise, okay? And that there was not going to be suffering in this world. This is, this is how God designed it to be, right? Um, God made it from the very beginning that they were not going to accomplish things as an individual alone, but that they were going to work together, right? When God created male and female, and he said, go and fill the earth, subdue the earth, all of you together, have dominion over the earth together. This isn't just one person who's going to have dominion. It's an entire race of people who is going to have dominion. And God allowed us to participate in the creation in the sense that God did not go and create every person, right? God did not create a race of people and say, here is the people. No, he said, I'm going to create two people. And from those two people will come all others. See how he is allowing us to participate with him, even in the work of the creation itself, right? That, that, that it is through our own selves that is going to come more of us, right? Which again, I think something we take for granted so much that it is through the work of human beings that more human beings come to be, right? What an amazing gift that God has given us. It's amazing when you really think about that this is the way that God has ordained for us to, 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 to fill the earth, to, to multiply, to grow, okay? <clears throat> also, we see the importance of relationship, right? When, again, when God says it is not good for man to be alone, when, when he wants to create us and, and, and have us to be in a community together, right? It is not that one person should be on their own. It's that God wants us to be together. The relationship is built into the human being. Okay? And God said, 
See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. <clears throat> so from the beginning, the food that, that was given to us to eat was only herbs and fruit, right? There was no animals yet that were being killed and eaten. This was not the original intent that God wanted for us because there was no violence. There was no killing at all at that time. Even in the next verse, when he speaks about the animals, okay? He says, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food and it was so. So even the animals did not eat one another, right? Even the animal, everyone was an herbivore, right? There was no killing at all. It was after the fall that the nature of animals changed. It was after the fall that there began to be uh, aggression and violence and killing and eating of, of, of animals and eating like animals eating other animals and human beings eating animals, okay? It was only later on. It was actually for, for human beings, it was only permitted after um, the flood actually uh, to eat animals. Um, I was gonna say something. Verse, this is the last verse, verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So now having completed the uh, creation, God looks at all his creation that he had made, and he says that it is very good. God was satisfied with everything that he had made. Everything that he had made was perfect because it was made by God. And God does not create anything that is not perfect. God creates everything perfectly good, right? So in every way, God made us capable. He made us, <clears throat> uh, our needs were met. There was relationship, good relationship between us and him and between each other. In every way, it was good, okay? But because God created free will, that he did not create us as slaves, he did not create us as, you know, to, to be subjugated, he allowed us to be free. And the moment you create someone who is free, now you have to honor their choices and their decision. And so even though he created a world in perfect harmony and he created human beings to be in harmony, but now there was the free will choice of human beings to choose not to be in harmony anymore. If this is what they wanted, right? A person could choose to disobey the commands that God had made, right? And this is what we're gonna get into um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, God willing, speaking about the fall. Okay. Does anyone have any uh, questions or comments about this chapter before we conclude? Mina. So, going back to the introduction that you gave, what does what does what does Genesis mean? What does what mean Genesis? Yeah, it means like origin or beginning of things. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, me. Oh, no problem. Any other questions or comments? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, O God, for this day and for this opportunity to study your word. 
We ask, O oh God, that you be with us tonight, the remaining part of our week. And you help us to remember you, O oh Lord, throughout our days and throughout everything that we do. Help us to remember, O oh Lord, that our origins are from you, that you are a creator. You are the ones who made us, and you have called us, O oh Lord, to live a certain way. We ask, O oh God, that you allow us not to be deceived by the enemy, the one who seeks to harm you through us. We ask, O oh God, that you allow us to cling to you and to be united to you and to be joyful at your presence and not to despise your commandments, but to see, O oh Lord, how they are good for our sake to protect us from him. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, here says we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a good night, everybody.